everyone, and welcome back to Vampires Never Get Old, a podcast about vampires in literature. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I am Natalie C. Parker. And this is our very final episode of the season, which makes it an extra special day because we have an extra special guest, Rebecca Roanhorse. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Rebecca Roanhorse is a New York Times and I believe USA Today bestselling author of so many books. She's won uh, like every award under the sun. She writes middle grade and uh, young adult, right, Rebecca? Uh, and adult. And adult. She's written for Star Wars. Um, and her next novel is an adult novel called Black Sun, and it is coming out on October 13th. Um, I have not had the opportunity to read it, but um, my wife, Tessa, will not stop talking about how amazing it is. <laughs> so I'm very much looking forward to reading this book, and I hope our listeners are too. Yay! <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad. First of all, I'm so glad that you said yes to our vampire invitation. <laughs> How could I not? Oh my gosh. The chance to write vampires. Yes. And when we asked you to come on to this podcast, we asked everyone to pick uh, a vampire novel or film or TV series um, from around 1990 to 2010 that they wanted to discuss. And I was so happy when you picked the Anita Blake series. Um, starting with Guilty Pleasures. Uh, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the series, there are approximately 10 million books <laughs> <laughs> in the series. Um, but the first one starts off with uh, Anita Blake, who is an animator. Uh, she can raise the dead. And um, if she needs to, like her clients can ask them, ask her to raise the dead of a recently deceased relative who maybe didn't impart some very important information before they died. Um, but she gets blackmailed by the vampires in the city uh, to investigate some vampire murders that are happening. Um, and she is swept up, unwilling, she's unwillingly swept up into uh, what turns into an epic prolonged, amazing, sexy adventure. <laughs> um, and so you picked this novel partly because of the the main vampire, Jean-Claude. Right. So, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'll tell you a little bit how I came to the series, and, and maybe that will sort of give um, some insight. So I actually discovered, uh, you're right, there's about a million books, uh, which are about 31, actually. Um, that's, that's <laughs> you know the plenty. count. Yes, I actually do. <laughs> that's sad, <laughs> but true. Um, and, and I actually came to the books uh, sort of midway through the series. I remember I was... Um, walking through an airport and I'd stopped at an airport bookstore and I was just looking for something to read, you know, on the plane and nothing too heavy, something to look fun. And I saw this book called Narcissus in Chains. Mm, and I was like, cover. wow, what, what a title too, right? Yeah. Like how awesome is that? So I was like, okay, let me see. What is this? So I picked it up and I read the back and it said, you know, who will Anita choose? Will she choose her vampire lover or her werewolf lover? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know who she's going to choose, but I'm going to find out. So I bought that book. And that was, gosh, I think that came out in 2001. 
So we weren't quite into, you know, that was almost 20 years ago, right? Or, I yeah. Think, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I think Guilty Pleasures came out in 93. Yeah. Right. And, but and Narcissus just, and Chains was out in 2001. Was that the fourth or fifth book in the series by then? Ten. Are you kidding me? No. It's a book a year. It's a book oh, a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and I want to mention... Certain. The author is Laurel K. Hamilton. I feel like I forgot. Oh, yeah, we didn't on. say that. Because <laughs> um, I, I feel like it's such a huge series, right? It's taken up so much of the urban fantasy canon. Um, and I I think I was too, too wee for it when it first came out. Because, like, I, I, when I read teen fiction, I was still a 13-year-old. And I wanted specifically the teen vampire romances, like the vampire boyfriend. Um, And so, but like 93 and in two, Uh, you know, three more years, two more years, it'll be two decades of a series. Like who else does that? It was really a a revolutionary series as well, but you started with book 10. I started with book 10 uh, and I was hooked. And so you know, the first time uh, you encounter Jean-Claude in that book, he's already sort of come into his power. You know, mm-hmm. he's estranged from Anita at the time because they have this on-again, off-again uh, sort of relationship. Uh, and, of course, as I implied, she also has a werewolf uh, potential boyfriend in the running. Um, but we're, we're team vampire around here, so mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. with the werewolf. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I was so enamored of the series i'd never read anything like it i'd never you know i wasn't really familiar with uh urban fantasy it was i guess my first urban fantasy uh or paranormal romance really and so this whole you know vampire shifter world uh at least in 2001 seemed like wow to me you know (laughs) i was like i didn't realize they let you write this stuff (laughs) and it was great and so I went back after that and started at book one at Guilty Pleasures. Um, and, you know, when you when so, you know, the series, I guess, is a setup sort of like a hard boiled detective sort of series. Right. So Anita is, as you said, Natalie, like an animator, which means she's a necromancer. She can raise the dead. Uh, but that's like a profession, you know, in this alternate St. Louis. Um, and so there's sort of a like, I guess, uh, in the series supernatural beings and, and magic is sort of a known entity, right? It's, but I guess it's not in the shadows. I was trying to imagine. I, I think, yeah. you know, this was one of the, maybe even the first urban fantasy series that came in and, you know, somebody's going to come for me and tell me that I'm wrong and, and I'm willing to be wrong, but this was 1993. And I do think that she, what she was doing, um, and at least, you know, these books hit such, a uh, a mass, a massive like stride early on. So it seemed I, I would be willing to bet that for many people, it was the first time we were seeing this kind of urban fantasy. That was a complete alternative history that the entire world is aware of vampires so thoroughly that the laws um, have shifted to account for them. They have their own nightclubs. They have their own, you know, traditions and cultures. And it's such a part, like, a, you can't tease it out of this world. You can't tease it away from Anita's awareness um, in a way that reminded me earlier in the podcast, we talked with Kayla Whaley about Sunshine, uh, 
Um, and that is very similar in that, you know, that was written in 2005. So she, Robin McKinley was definitely pulling on the same tradition mm. of, of known magic in the world. Um, but it also, I think, has was the precursor to things like the Suki Stackhouse novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yes, I agree with you. This is my long way of saying I do think <laughs> that this was a, a foundational to uh, par- uh, urban fantasy in general. Yeah, it was certainly foundational to me. Um, I had never read fantasy like this. And for me also... Uh, I had always been like a big epic fantasy, high fantasy reader. I'd been reading, you know, Game of Thrones and Wheel of Time and, you know, those sorts of fantasies. Uh, But I kind of grown tired of them. You know, they're very male centric. They're very white. You know, they're sort of blah. Um, Well, they are what they are. Right. Uh, And so to pick this up and to have this be an introduction into a whole different kind of fantasy genre to me just blew my mind. And really even brought me back to reading the genre, to, to reading, you know, something that I loved. Uh, and that's not to say it's not problematic. <laughs> it's definitely got some, like, some race and some gender and some sexuality uh, issues. It was written in the early 90s, uh, a lot of them. Uh, so, you know, definitely if you're new to the series, you know, take that with... Um, I guess sort of as a content warning, (laughs) Uh, but wow, it it was doing some cool work. Uh, And so, yeah, so what I was going to say was, you know, that opens into this uh, sort of hard boiled, you know, sort of dark uh, night, you know, based uh, uh, alternate St. Louis where, you know, vampires, like you said, have their own clubs, they have their own societies, they do their own thing. And Anita is reluctantly pulled into this investigation because uh, she also like works with the cops on supernatural cases, right? Because and there's some sort of there's some stigma against you know those who sort of truck with the supernatural that sort of thing. Um, and she meets this vampire Jean Claude, and he is not the powerful vampire in this story. Uh, he is sort of um, sort of a lackey, <laughs> you know, uh, but he has ambitions. And he's, you know, uh, they keep him around because he's pretty. <laughs> and, um, he's the, is he like an original vampire himbo? Yeah, <laughs> so, right? And so, yeah, and he's got, you know, he's French, of course, you know, and so he's, and he he's got lace. He wears lace and, you know, boots that come up to his knees. He's sort of stuck in the, in, uh, you know, the, I guess the 1700s where he, or, yeah, where he first, you know, was um, born as a vampire. Uh, but he's he's manipulative, you know, and he's tricky. And he sort of uses Anita, uh, not in like a particularly bad way, I think, especially at the beginning, um, uh, to gain power. Because he sees her potential and like what she is. And, um, and he slowly sort of falls in love with her. Um, and they are sort of opposite... Uh, set up as opposites very much in the story. And there's a sort of tension because she raises the dead and are vampires just dead bodies, animated dead bodies, like what she raises from the grave, or are they like, you know, human beings? And so you're engaging sort of in that and she's back and forth, like, can I really love a guy who's already dead? You know, but then look at him. He doesn't act like he's dead, you know? So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, it's and cool. he's protecting me and cradling me against his chest. <laughs> yes, right. And I don't hear his heartbeat, but it still feels pretty good. 
right? (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, and so slowly throughout, you know, the series, they come into power together. And I think it's really cool because, you know, he couldn't do it without her uh, because she's sort of the enforcer. She's the badass. She's the one with the guns and the, like, you know, um, sort of in-your-face kind of violence. Uh, And then he's the sort of court intrigue playing vampire politics because it's very political. It's very, you know, it's sort of uh, Anita's vampire world, I think, is influenced very much by what Anne Rice created, uh, especially for like the Parisian vampires, this whole sort of like a courtly um, status driven, um, inherently cruel vampire world, um, which Jean-Claude was once very much a part of uh, at the lower rungs. Right. So he's been through a lot. Um, and now he has a chance to seize power in quote unquote the new world and in America, you know, outside of Europe, uh, with Anita at his side. And so that's sort of the crux of, you know, their larger arc. And it comes and it goes. And, you know, there's romantic, you know, uh challenges. Uh Jean-Claude is bisexual and Anita is bisexual later, much later in the series. Um, the series starts to sort of go off the rails, in my opinion, <laughs> around book 11 or 12, uh, where Anita is, like, inhabited by a, a sexual um, spirit. Uh, and then it sort of just becomes erotica. Uh, but before that, you know, the a lot of the uh, power dynamics uh, are around, you know, sex and seduction, as vampire stories, in my opinion, should always be. Uh, and so it's really, really interesting. And it's really fun. Uh, and it's just, um, yeah, I kind of love it. <laughs> I mean, I think that we all have series like this or it's, you know, they're very formative, but they're also, uh, they, it sounds like, cause I haven't read past the, the first one. So like, that's, it's a lot, it's a big commitment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and, but it sounds like it keeps transforming throughout the decades because it's about to be decades, plural. Uh, and I suppose that you have to figure out a way as a creator, how do you keep vampires fresh, right? Like we say vampires never get old. That's the whole point of this anthology and this podcast and um, my life now. Um, <laughs> but how do you how, like how do you revive uh, how do you breathe new life? I'm sorry for all the vampires puns. They're not on purpose, I swear. Um, Natalie, save me. <laughs> <laughs> save I, me from my puns. I think what you're trying to say <laughs> is uh, that the vampire stories that we are familiar with are so familiar. Um, how do we even start to break out of the the box, <laughs> the coffin? <laughs> you have to take those like when they're just in front of you you just have to take them <laughs> the writer really started it though thank you yeah um but i love that and so um why you know you said something funny earlier which is you know you're a vampire household versus a werewolf household um is that is there like a specific reason um what are your feelings about supernatural creatures <laughs> Yes. Well, gosh, the whole vampire mythos is just, you know, uh, this sort of elegant cruelty, this sort of, you know, um, uh, 
the, I don't know, the darkness and, and, you know, the blood drinking. And, and there was definitely, you know, a sexual tension in, you know, most great vampire stories, in my opinion. Um, and sort of, you know, often the gender fluidity, um, you know, all the sort of things that go into uh, vampire mythos. Uh, I love, I think those, you know, are awesome. You know, werewolves are a little more primal. We're outside. I'm not sure I want to be outside that much, you know. <laughs> like Maybe I you know, do they- want to be a werewolf. I would just be a backpacking <laughs> werewolf. Oh, my God. New series. Uh, backpacking werewolf. Um <laughs> Roaming around the countryside. Yeah, I don't want to roam. I want to live in a mansion. So, yeah, that sort of thing, right? So, I don't know. I I just, I definitely have a preference for for the vampires. And I love that sort of um, style of vampire story. I didn't choose to write that kind of story, but I really love uh, the whole court, the courtly nature of, you know, the vampire with the hierarchy and stuff like that and the sort of games they play. I think that's kind of fun. but yeah, but of course the the anthology does something completely different. I mean, all the stories there are the fresh take on vampire tales, and I think that's what makes it so in, in, intriguing, you know, and so interesting. Is I read stories that I was like, oh, I would have never thought of that. Well, that's an interesting way to like interpret the vampire, you know, and so that's cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. When we were first um, putting out feelers for the podcast and soliciting um, topics, I think that you had initially suggested um tackling interview with a vampire right um so which did you experience first were were you introduced to interview before guilty pleasures or vice versa because i guess the books and or the book and the the movie of interview are pretty they came out like decades apart but like uh i think the movie came out right around the time that guilty pleasures was coming out so yeah, I'm Do you sure remember? Interview with the Vampire was first. I think I read the book first. Um, although I can't Because it came out in the 80s, right? Yeah, and that sounds... Uh, maybe 70s. Maybe I was a little too young for that then. Maybe I saw the... You know, maybe I saw the movie and then I saw... And then I read the book. Maybe I was mm-hmm. intrigued. Because um, I don't remember particularly like having faces you know often when you read the book you know the characters you've invented them in your mind and then you see the movie and you're like that's not them <laughs> uh, but wow that young brad pitt he he worked for me that was great huh <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh, it's sort of that tragic you know i think john claude has some of that too i mean clearly uh hamilton is influenced by you know um interview with a vampire but yeah john claude has some of that tragic uh, touch to him as well but you know the difference is he he sees his power you know and he becomes like sort of this uh, powerful um vampire in the end uh yeah so and according to the interview with the vampire wikipedia um it was published in 1976 interview with the vampire and it was based on a short story that Anne rice wrote um in 68 uh which is amazing because look at what she did. Yeah. She well, I'm ready for stuff. novels from all of these short stories in our collection. I Maybe if that's the way it works. I was actually, we'll all... I, I know we're going to talk about uh, the boys from Blood River, but one of the things that struck me is like, I want the novel of these boys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that makes me think I let's talk about, the Lost Boys. Is that one of those that's things also, that inspired this story, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, yes. yes. 
So tell us about tell us about the Lost Boys. Okay, so the Lost Boys is also formative. <laughs> You're just a like, vampire girl. I know. Yeah. I really, vampire yeah, groupie as a youth. <clears throat> but I saw that uh, I must have been in middle school, I think, uh, when the Lost Boys come out, came out, uh, and I actually made my mother take me to go see. <laughs> I'm sure she was like, "What? What is? What are we watching?" <laughs> uh, but uh, it is a sort of a modern '80s vampire story. It's set in the sat town of like Santa Clara, California, which is clearly like a Santa Cruz. Uh, and it's these two boys that move to town, uh, two teenage boys that move to town with their single mom to live with their grandfather. And they go out and they try to make friends. And it turns out that the whole damn town is infested with vampires. <laughs> and uh, so um, Michael is the main teenage character, like 17 or 18, I guess he's supposed to be. Although clearly he's in his 20s as an actor, but we're not going to mention that. Uh, and he meets this like, the cool motorcycle riding, leather wearing, you know, sort of badass uh, gang that hangs out on the beach because he finds this beautiful girl. He follows her. And of course, you know, she's with the vampires. And so they slowly introduce him to their gang. Uh, but what they're really trying to do is turn him into a vampire. And so like he goes to their cool hideout and he make they make him drink blood and they, and then he's half vampire and, Anyway, so like this is whole <laughs> sort of like as a teenager, I was like, I too would like to be found by the cool motorcycle riding gang and turned into a vampire. <laughs> That's a very specific want. Whereas I was like, I want the guy in um with spiky black hair and UFO pants, uh, or Dickies. Right, because it was, you know, Blink-182 era. Uh, <laughs> the pop-punk era. Screamo in, in Long Island. Uh, that So we had very different aesthetics. And then later, now that I'm an adult, I want the, 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 the motorcycle guy, for sure. <laughs> I was ahead of my time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, so anyway, so that's sort of the uh, appeal of Lost Boys. It's this idea, I think, of, you know, the, the outsider, the new guy, this, you know, solo sort of character who encounters this very cool group of um, what turn out to be vampires and the seduction of wanting to be part of that group, uh, the seduction of finding the place where you fit in. Um, with these people that are sort of, you know, they're not, you know, hey, want to sit at my table because we're nerds together. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to be you when I grow up kind of people. Right. So um, and of course, he would get the beautiful girlfriend, too, you know, and then he has the cool best friend. And so everything would sort of just fit into this this sort of dream world that I think as a teenager is very seductive. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't see the fault, he doesn't see the flaws, like, you know, that they kill people until later. Uh, and he's actually invited into a, um, I guess, um, I like to say it's a ritual ceremony, but that's me talking. Uh, he's invited uh, to murder a bunch of people with them and feed. Uh, and that's where he draws the line. That's where he decides he can't go uh, any further with them. He can't do this. Uh, and then he turns around and he fights them. But the whole time he's still fighting his internal, uh, he's turning into a vampire whether he wants to or not because he drank the blood. So he's sort of fighting his internal demons uh, as well. Um, anyway, yes, that is my 
a deep reading of The Lost Boys. <laughs> I think that is a, I mean, it's a really good way to segue into talking about your story for the collection, um, The Boys from Blood River. Your, this story, and I don't, I will talk about it in the vaguest terms so we don't give anything away, but you really dove into the horror aspect of vampires um, in a way that I actually think is hard to to do because we do have such a, a romanticized view of the promises that the vampire makes of immortality. And, and even in many of the most popular myths, the idea of taking life from humans and, and killing in order to stay young and beautiful and immortal um, is, is kind of glossed over and given mostly a romantic sheen or if it, or it's off camera. Um, Most of our, many of our vampire heroes uh, choose more humane methods of obtaining blood. So the, like those horrific pieces of what it takes to maintain this way of life, I think it's easy to gloss over those or, or just sort of, you know, address them lightly and focus on the romance pieces of it. Uh, but in the the boys from blood river, you really, you really dove right into that crux of what does it take? This is a promise. There's a, there's a seduction of this idea that your life will be somehow easier, that your life will be charmed and magical and you'll have this community of vampires, which I think is what the the boys um, are promising to Lucas. And then, but then on the other hand, what is the cost? What, what is the sacrifice that's required for this? Um, And you, this story, I mean, not only did you go there, but there are so many points on the page where I actually shivered. Like I was actually a little bit afraid of what was going to happen next. And I think in vampire narratives, there's usually more of an anticipation because you're expecting mm. the romance piece. And I was not expecting any romance in this. I was worried. <laughs> yeah, I read this. So when we first got the stories, I, I would read them at night. Uh, Because that's just how my schedule worked out. Um, And for most of them, I was like, oh, I love this funny scene. Like, this is, like, a really great line. But I think yours was the one story where I was like, I don't want to stick out my foot too much further out of the bed space because a monster is going to come grab it. Like, (laughs) that's how I felt afraid. Um, And I think that that's also really hard to pull off. So good job on that. Yeah, you freaked us out. Yay! (laughs) Well, you know, I'm always, I think, especially in short fiction, uh, but even in, like, uh, novels and stuff, I think I'm always trying to find uh, where the visceral punch is, you know, where, where, um, I guess, you know, you're so invested, hopefully, you know, that the story has done its job and it sort of pulled you in, and you're so invested that when, you know, sort of the punch comes, uh, you get an oof, you know? So that's sort of always what I'm looking for. So yay! <laughs> that's cool. And when you started, you very intentionally were were sort of in conversation with the Lost Boys, right? That was... Yes, 100%. So this is like my weird take on the Lost Boys. <laughs> so, you know, I just, 
the story was kind of funny. I had a, a a little bit of difficulty getting it started, and I kept getting stuck in my head about um um uh there's this song, there's this old cowboy song called The Streets of Laredo. I don't know if you guys know that source. I don't, yeah, because I'm from Texas and it's just this weird thing. But um and it's uh, all about this guy who's like walking through the streets of Laredo and he sees this man who's dying, like this young, beautiful man, and he can't do anything to help him. And the guy goes, I'm dying. You can't you can't save me, but let me tell you my story. And so I was sort of like that was sort of in my head. And I knew I wanted to like somehow incorporate that in. And so I incorporated this song that, you know, Lucas has to sing uh, to to pull this beautiful dead boy and his friends to him. Uh, and I, you know, I, I was like, How does this work? Does it not work? Kind of strange. So I'm thrilled that you guys liked it. Uh, and then I guess, you know, it, it, it did end up working, but I just love that idea. It's almost like a siren in reverse or something, mm-hmm. you know, to like, it has bloody Mary vibes to me. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. What would be your song? Like if you played a song that you're going to lure vampires with, like what would, what would it be? Oh, wow. I don't know. That's really interesting. Definitely a lamentation. I think definitely something that's, you know, sort of, uh, uh, mournful. I don't I think know. the writers would be part of your world. <laughs> The Little Mermaid part of your world. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. I uh, actually, I think I was going to say mine would probably be Despacito, but because <laughs> <laughs> I want party vampires. Oh, nice. But then you yeah. know what happens with party vampires? They just party too hard. Yeah, look at Blade. Look what happened. I would write a Blade story too. That'd probably be my, I don't know. I love a lot of vampire stories. That's like my second favorite. Maybe that's like my third favorite, though. But and of course, he's a vampire hunter. Um, and the vampires there are just not, you know, not good. <laughs> they all need to die. Pretty it's a much, bad right? bunch. Yeah, it's a bad bunch. But like, what a great story, right? That's I know. Really I don't cool. actually think we ended up talking about Blade much on the the podcast as a whole. No, no, nobody, nobody picked it. I think, oh. even though Mark Ashiro, Mark's favorite. Vampire is either Blake or Angel. Um, So I can see that. (laughs) I loved Angel, too. That was a good one, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, there was a... uh, uh, the, The what vampire is your vampire? Just really, really... You know, we had everything from uh, Count... Count... Count Von Count. We had everything from Count Von Count to Interview with the Vampire. Uh, Lestat. So it, it, everyone had a very different vampire answer. Nobody picked the same vampire. Okay. So Rebecca, tell us a little bit about the the characters. You have Lucas, who is our main character, who who um summons the vampires. Uh, maybe he doesn't fully ex- understand what he's doing, but he does it. Um, and he has a suspicion, so there is some intention there. And then we have the four vampires who roll to town. There's Silas, who's this like live cowboy man. And then the three, the trio of, uh, I think they're younger than Silas, but boys who are all have been brought into the vampire fold. So tell us a little bit about 
these five characters. Yeah. So, uh, it, okay. So I did make cowboy vampires, and I know that for a lot of people, that's going to be a WTF. <laughs> for me, it was fantabulous. <laughs> oh, wonderful! So, uh, because I grew up in Texas. And I know these small towns, you know, and I know sort of what they're like. And cowboys are, I'm in New Mexico now, and there's cowboys here. I go to the res, um, my husband, you know, it's family of the Navajo Nation. And there's cowboys, like, you know, in even modern times, cowboys exist. And so it's a whole aesthetic. It's a whole, you know, beyond a sort of, you know, um, sort of hipster yeehaw aesthetic. It's an actual, like, thing. Uh, and I just wanted to capture a little bit of like what a small town in Texas would be like. Uh, and so that's sort of where I imagine Blood River to be. Uh, there's this stretch of like two lane highway that runs between Amarillo and Fort Worth. And it's just these like little dying town after little dying town, you know, with a few grain silos and a, and a few empty, you know, sort of storefronts. And I wanted to sort of capture, like, what would that be like to be this queer native kid, uh, who Lucas is, growing up in a town like that? Like, it's just, you know, he doesn't play football. He's not a big guy. He's not, you know, into that sort of stuff. Like, where does he find his community and where does he fit in? You know, and 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 how the hell does he get out of there? <laughs> Which is like, you know, really my feelings growing up, right? Um but, you know, and so I wanted to create these vampires that spoke to sort of like who he was uh, in a way. And so, yeah, Silas is a cowboy. They're all sort of cowboys because they're all um, from a different era, right? Only one of them is from uh, sort of the contemporary, I think, from I him in the 80s or from the, he was turned in like the 80s or 90s. Um, and of course, he's sort of like a, a truce of, you know, uh, that sort of breaks the romance of, of the cow, of these cowboy um vampires right he's sort of the one that's like it all looks good on the surface but maybe it's not as good as it looks right um yeah so anyway so gosh let's see um and i made the cowboys diverse because there are black cowboys there are native cowboys uh and i wanted that reflected too it's always really important to me to break this idea that like all cowboys in the west were white uh or are still are white you know um there were a lot, uh, I think, I wish I knew the numbers, but there were obviously a majority of black cowboys because that was a place that black people could go and they could live free and that they could find work. Um, and then there are native cowboys now. My husband is an ex-bronc writer, you know, and he's like comes from a rodeo family. So I wanted to, you know, capture some of that. But each of them is tragic in some way, right? Because I love the tragic vampire trope. Um, you know, one of them has lost uh, his wife and gone insane, and that's why he uh, turned. And then, you know, they're all have sort of mysterious past that I don't uh, really tell you a lot about, but hopefully tease a little bit. And like, yes, if, if I wanted to write a bigger story of how they all came to be, I think that, that would be interesting uh, to me. But Silas is the ringleader. Um, and he's, you know, sort of the one who decides who comes over and, you know, who doesn't, who joins their gang, you know, and who doesn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just sort of babbled about my characters. A bit, no, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. Um, I, I think you really captured the, that idea of this, this like Western with like the, the whistling and the, you know, like waiting, the anticipation 
is is what is really drawn out, um, which I love. And while you were talking, I thought about a song that matches your book, Ooh. and it's called um, "Lost River" by the band Murder by Death. And you have to listen to it as soon as we get off this podcast, and I hope other people too. It has that like haunting, you know, siren song. I've I've seen this band twice in real life, um, back when we could, you know, congregate in groups in public in New York. And the he's like the skinny man who wears like a not a tux, but like a suit and jacket, and like has like a giant handlebar mustache. And the deepest voice in the entire world, like a baritone. Um, And his, like, it's just so melodic and, like, haunting. Made me think, I I thought of that immediately while you were talking about about this, this, you know, cowboy stuff. Cowboy vampires. (laughs) Well, I would check it out. I kind of love it, too, um, what you're saying about wanting to represent uh, a diversity of cowboys because it reflects real life um, is exactly what we were wanting to do with the vampires in the first place. So aligning cowboys and vampires in that way, I don't know that it ever would have occurred to me, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yes, that makes a lot of really good sense uh, in terms of the mythology and like, you know, cowboys were always kind of, ranging out and in some ways their their life life's work and and sustenance required that they were a little bit of loners and had to bring others into the fold very carefully i mean it just it's like oh maybe cowboys were always vampires yeah maybe i mean we're waiting for the novel rebecca i think um Because I think that there is such a richness to the tragic ba- backstory, right? Like, what is this, this like, what does this found family do other than get summoned to places, right? Um, so it's just so cool. Now you can get your hands on Vampires Never Get Old uh, and be able to tune in and listen to Rebecca speak after you read her short story or before, you know, read them together like a, like a couple. Um, any last words, Natalie? Not like last, last words. but <laughs> Was that a threat, Zoraida? It's a threat. <laughs> Thinly veiled threat. The book is out. We're done. Yay. <laughs> See who murders each other first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am just so thrilled that the collection is out in the world now. And I hope that... Uh, You have enjoyed listening to this podcast series about like a trip down vampire lane with us. Um, I feel like we've covered so many excellent vampire stories. Um, There are many more that we haven't even touched on, mostly uh, recent publications, including um, Elise Arden's Casket Girls and Caleb Rorig just came out with The Fell of Dark. Of course, Renee Athia has the beautiful series. There are so many more vampire narratives coming out right now that you can seek out. And this is the perfect month to do it because it's October, the time of vampires. Um, and you should obviously start with Vampires Never Get Old. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us uh, on our final episode. And 
Uh, I hope that everyone who wants to read more of your work, you have a great canon, including Star Wars canon. Uh, and you have Black Sun, which is coming out October 13th. Perfect. So thank you so much for listening and going on this wild ride with us for Vampires Never Get Old. It has been my pleasure. Until next time.